Psalm 129 is our text. Open your Bible, navigate on your device. You can follow along at transcript.calvaryhanford.com. The topic, the psalmist asks Israel to remember when they were beaten so badly by their oppressors that it was as if furrows were being plowed into their backs. The title of our message, The Backs Beat Boys. Father, we uh, each week remember that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. That what happens here must be spiritual, not natural or uh, carnal, obviously. But that a spiritual transaction would take place between God the Holy Spirit and this text and our hearts. We want to be aware of your presence here in this place, Lord. Ministering to us, showing us grace and mercy. Reminding us of your great love. Calling us back, Lord, if there are places that we've wandered off the path to. Ministering healing and hope to those who are hurting. Do all these things and more, we pray, from this ancient text that is alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. Pam and I saw Jaws when it was released in June of 1975. That was the era which you watched movies in theaters one time. There was none of this, uh, you know, binging or watching stuff over and over again. Once the theater run was done, it was done. Fifteen years later, Jaws was the first movie on DVD we ever bought. Perfect, we thought, for family movie night with our kids. Kids were, I think, 12 and 9 at the time. I asked for clarification, but they... They're hesitant to even talk about this with us. <laughs> Obviously, after 15 years, our memories about content were a little fuzzy. I remember one of us telling them, you'll love it. Not that violent at all. Only one or two people die. One of them, of course, is Ben Gardner. When Hooper finds Ben Gardner's abandoned boat and looks in the gash in its hull, he finds Ben. He finds his head, that is, floating by in an unexpected jump scene. For the record, five people die brutal, bloody deaths, averaging one horrific death every 26 minutes, not uh, to mention the suspense. Fans, super fans, that is, argue over whether or not Pippet, the dog, was eaten. If so, his death, the sixth, is mercifully off screen. Our kids insist that the horrific images of shark kills are forever etched in their minds. It's become a standing joke in our family. If you've ever heard one of us say something like, only one or two people die, it's sarcasm, and that's what we are referring to. You know where else you find horrific images? In the Bible, Judges 19.29. When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine. She was already dead and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. 2 Kings 6, 28 and 29, Then the king said to her, What's troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat. But she has hidden her son. One of the most horrific of all the biblical images summarizes the historic affliction of the nation of Israel by the devil. It's in Revelation. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, 
a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads on, and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. Now these signs are identified for us in the Bible. The woman is the nation of Israel. The dragon is Satan. The child is Jesus. It's graphically depicting centuries of satanic opposition against Israel to prevent the birth of the Savior. Despite which, Jesus was born, is in heaven, victorious over Satan, and his third of the stars of heaven army of fallen angels. Psalm 129 invited the Jews on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to look back upon their storied history of affliction, to recall the many horrors the nation had endured. But you'll see that it was a look of victory. They joined voices in saying, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The worst is yet to come upon Israel in the future great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Once again, Israel will sing, yet they have not prevailed against me. Afflictions are something the Lord's church has and will experience until he removes us from the earth. That's our point of contact with this psalm. That's how it will apply to us. We want to sing every day, yet they have not prevailed against us, against me. I'll organize my comments around two simple points. Number one, in your afflictions you can praise. And number two, against your afflictors you will prevail. Let's talk about our praise in verses one through four. An article posted by Business Insider was titled, The Coronavirus Pandemic is Fueling Anti-Semitism Around the World, and the U.S. is no exception. Here's a quote. The global crisis has breathed new life into centuries-old rhetoric that blames Jews for the spread of disease and economic downturn. An example of that bubbled up in the United States as recently as Saturday in an echo of Nazi propaganda. Protesters at an Ohio rally held signs depicting a rat donning a star of David and a yarmulke that read the real plague. Wow, that's insane. CNN posted this not fake news article. Coronavirus lockdowns are fueling an explosion of anti-Semitism online. It's satanic. Zola Levitt wrote, for thousands of years, Satan has demonstrated an intense, insatiable drive to completely eliminate the Jewish people. And then he offers this explanation why. For 4,000 years, the Jewish people have faced relentless persecution, opposition, and attempts to annihilate and destroy them. And in the future, the struggle against Israel continues. If it concerned any other people, this campaign would seem totally irrational and insane. However, with Israel, a rational but very satanic strategy sustains this animosity. For Satan, the destruction of Israel is a matter of self-preservation. Ultimately, the survival of Israel results in the eternal perdition of Satan. When Israel repents and nationally invites the Lord Jesus Christ to be its Redeemer and Messiah, 
that generation of Israel will be saved, and Satan's plan to destroy the Jews will be finally defeated. Jesus Christ will return to the earth, destroy the satanic Antichrist and his armies at Armageddon, establish his kingdom over Israel and the world for a thousand years, and then cast the still rebellious Satan into the lake of fire forever and ever. Notwithstanding all her historic afflictions, Psalm 129 is a call to praise knowing that they would prevail. And so we read a song of ascents. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. And so the worship leader gave indication where he was going right then with this song. And then he invites all Israel to respond. And then they respond. As one instrument, as one voice, they directed their praise to the Lord. They weren't simply putting a positive spin on their afflictions. They understood that in a fallen world, behind which rages a cosmic spiritual war, the people of God are going to be high-value targets. And so there's no complaint here from the Jews. There's no wondering what's going on. The psalmist doesn't say why have we been afflicted so much? They understand this, and they're able to say, and yet we have prevailed against them. We must understand that too. The world hated Jesus, it's going to hate us. In the world, we will have tribulation, Jesus acknowledged. Not just the normal troubles everyone encounters in a fallen world. We will be targeted because we follow the Lord. And so we're not just talking about I hate to say it this way, but run-of-the-mill problems and afflictions that your neighbor who's not a Christian gets. We're talking about those things that come upon you because you're a Christian uh, and, and target you because you're walking with the Lord. Now, behind this tenth of the 15 songs of ascent is God's providence. No matter the afflictors or the afflictions, God provided for Israel's continuation. From Genesis through Revelation, he is always behind the scenes working on behalf of his people, and the same goes to the church. In remarkable episodes, he injects himself into Israel's history without ever violating anyone's free will. When was Israel young? Well, in Egypt they were young. They weren't really even a nation yet, just a lot of people. They didn't have a constitution or a law or anything like that. They were in submission to the Egyptians. God would deliver millions of them from slavery and establish them as his nation. Their backs were indeed viciously whipped by the Egyptian taskmasters. And you read about it in the Exodus. Egypt, then Assyria, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, the Spanish Inquisition, then the Nazis... All of these afflicted the Jews. They remain. Thus they could and they can sing, yet they have not prevailed against me. God will prevail against your enemies. Uh, if it doesn't seem that way now, it will in the future. We must remember that we are a future-oriented people. Our look is heavenward from which we look backward uh, at our life on earth. We are looking forward to a finish line. You've heard it said that it's, uh, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I've said before it's not a marathon, it's a long distance race that goes on and on. 
The truth is, it's a long-distance race that is an obstacle course. There is danger with every footfall. Every year, there's a report or two about a jogger getting attacked by a cougar along their route. The animal just comes out of nowhere, going for the throat. We have a lion crouching, waiting for us. 1 Peter 5 eight: be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we are, uh, we are his targets. We are his prey, as it were, because God loves us and we love him. Before you're a Christian, the devil doesn't need to worry too much about you. He doesn't need to spend much resource or energy. But once you know Christ, uh, you are his full-time enemy. It says in verse 3, the plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. Psalm 129 will draw its comparisons from farming to get its point across. Here the psalmist compares their being whipped by cruel taskmasters to plowing a field. It was as if their backs were the field being plowed deeply, painfully, horribly. It is meant to be a horrific image. It's rated R for gore. People tend to look upon this kind of affliction as a reason to abandon their belief in God, to heap blame upon God for what seems to be in action. How can I follow a God who allows this or does this or does that? The psalmist had a much different analysis. He just talked about these horrible, horrific sufferings, and then he says, the Lord is righteous and has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. The Lord is righteous is a shout out that whatever we might think about afflictions, yours or others, God is not to blame. He remains righteous. He's working on it. He's done something about it. He solved it in, in a big macro sense by sending Jesus to answer the phone. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> by sending Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And as we tell you many times, it, it, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And that is why the world goes on into, in its wickedness. Who's wicked? Men, women, children. Who's not wicked? God. Who's doing something about it? God. But in the meantime, uh, terrible things happen because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all to, uh, would come to repentance. There's coming a time when he, his long-suffering will fill up and the prophecies that we read about in the Bible and in the Revelation are going to come to pass, certainly come to pass. But God is righteous. He is not the author of evil. He hates evil. When something terrible happens, uh, some, you know, the coronavirus, God didn't look at the world and say, I'm going to give you the coronavirus right now so that my glory can be manifest. No, we live in a fallen world where viruses happen. Viruses happen because Adam and Eve sinned and they brought death and disease into the world. And so never blame God. And don't let others who are Christians sort of blame God by saying, well, uh, it seems evil to us, but it's actually righteous. Don't call evil good. God's above it all, working through it all, seeking to save. I know that I refer to them often, but Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have this worldview. And so rather than me explain it each time, I use them as an example. And if you can get this and understand their worldview, then you understand a lot. When they were threatened by death by furnace, they answered the most powerful man in their experience, I want to say in the world, but they were you know, at least in that part of the world, 
King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, they answered and said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to deliver us. You watch. But if he doesn't, we still don't care because we're not going to bow down to your idol. That is what it means to prevail thanks to God's righteousness. It is seeing the world realistically as it is described by the Bible. We are going to be afflicted for our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our afflictor ultimately is a twisted fallen angel who is depicted as a beast wanting to eat a newborn baby. Our other enemies are sin and death. Jesus conquered them all on the cross. So no matter what, we sing, yet they have not prevailed against me. Death cannot prevail against you. Oh, Gene, I might die. Yes. And what a glorious thing that is. Because to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Maybe we should attend more funerals and see the hopefulness of Christians and the hopelessness of non-believers. Uh, I remember one funeral I went to where, and, and honestly, the individual salvation was in question, and I, I, never, I never make a judgment. Who am I to say this person wasn't a Christian? But it, by all outward indications, it wasn't. And, and the testimonies given about him sort of were in that vein. And, uh, you know, have you ever been to a, a memorial where they have an open mic, and then people just keep coming up and sharing. If, if you die, tell whoever is behind you, don't, don't do that. That's bad. It's always goofy. Uh, some of the stories you don't want told. But anyway, uh, the, it started with one individual saying, you know, the one thing I remember about him is he had the best manicured lawn in the neighborhood. Not a grass out of place. Not a, you know. And then everybody after that, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's his legacy. He had that lawn, that magnificent lawn. And, and it sounds funny to us, but it's tragic. I want, all you need to say is, hey, he was alive, now he's with the Lord. And so, okay, what are you going to do to me? Are you going to kill me? Am I going to die a slow death from a disease? So what? I'm going to be absent from my body and present with the Lord. And while I still have breath, he's liable to come for me before then. I might not ever die. That's prevailing. If you're in Christ, you prevail. And so you might as well do it with praise rather than bitterness. Second, against your afflictors, you will prevail. Epic fails caught on video can be awfully entertaining, but you probably shouldn't watch them. It's hard to believe people can be that stupid. Recently, uh, I know this because my granddaughter wanted me to do it with her. Uh, there was a thing where cars driving along real slow and they're taping the person in the passenger seat singing a little bit. And then they open the door and get out of the car and keep walking along. There's some great epic fails for that one. The, the one, the gal opens the car door and then she forgets to shut it and the door clobbers her, you know. Because, you, you know, you had to get out of the car. You had to shut the door. You can't just walk, you know, and it, it was crazy. Anyway, we can't help but think that to prevail means we will be kept safe in the fiery furnace. 
hanging out with Jesus, released from it without ever having the smell of smoke on our clothes, or that the lions won't tear us apart, or that we will be sprung from prison. If a believer is burned up or torn apart or left to rot in jail, those seem like epic fails, not prevails. We tend to ignore the passage in Hebrews chapter 11 that says, Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Of himself, the Lord said, I am the Lord. I don't change. At the same time, there are different what we call dispensations when the Lord is dealing differently with his people. We like to quickly illustrate by asking, why didn't you bring a lamb today to sacrifice? Well, why didn't you bring a lamb today? Well, I, I don't know how you'd word it, but you'd say, well, we're not, we don't deal with God that way in this time period. We're not under the law, we're under grace. And so everybody recognizes that there are different periods when God administers himself differently. We're not Israel, we're the church, we're in what's called the church age. I want to add, in every dispensation or age, salvation is always the same. It's never by works, it's always by faith, it's by believing God. The Jews weren't saved because they kept the law or, or sacrificed animals. Paul will tell us of Abraham that he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That was just the way they approached God. Uh, but there are these different dispensations where God does different things to reveal himself to mankind. When Jesus was on the earth for three and a half years of his ministry, we are told that his miracles, healings, and exorcisms, quote, if they were written one by one, that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. While it is true that miracles, healings, and exorcisms most certainly occur in the church age, you've got to admit that they're infrequent. It isn't because the church is failing. It's because the church age is characterized by displays of God's power in our weakness. Every few years, and in some churches all the time, but there's usually somebody rises up and they say, hey, how come we're not healing everybody and casting out all these demons and doing all this work that Jesus did? We should be able to do that. Which is another way of saying the church has failed for centuries, but now we're going to finally do what we should be doing. I'm all for miracles, I, I, and, and you know, all of us have seen certain miracles at a certain level, healings, you know, th those things happen, but not very frequently. Is it because the church has failed and is failing? Not really, it's because we're not in that age. We're in an age, and it's provable in the New Testament, where we are filling up the sufferings of Christ, the Bible says, where uh, our weakness shows God's strength. And as a side note or a footnote concerning miracles, as much as a miracle would be welcome, miracles didn't bring anybody to Christ in the first century. They were proving he was the Messiah. When he rose his friend Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish leader said, hey, let's have a meeting and figure out how we can kill both of these guys. We need to get rid of the guy that's doing miracles and his evidence so that we can get back to being who we want to be. And so it's just not true that miracle signs and wonders uh, 
bring people to Christ. Uh, it seems more in our time that suffering in the name of Jesus and with his joy and spirit brings people to Christ. If you don't want to fully acknowledge that truth, you must at least acknowledge that folks in Hebrews chapter 11 we reference as being afflicted are every bit as spiritual as those earlier in the chapter who enjoyed miraculous escapades and escapes. The whole point of that chapter is that God will prevail over your enemies one way or the other. Now and later we prevail over our afflictors and the devil and his angels and the non-believers who do his will whether they know it or not. Now back to our pilgrims in Jerusalem in verse 5. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. Two things jump out. Number one, Israel expected to be hated. And number two, Israel expected to be assaulted by those who hated her and that they would need to be turned back. And so this is a very rubber meets the road, realistic look at uh, how, they were going, how they had lived and how they were going to live. Let them be as the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up. When my house on, uh, it had an old shake roof, and I would, would go out and I would wonder, you know, it's not really leaking inside yet, but it's been, it's an old roof. I wonder when I should, you know, replace it. I remember one spring I went out there and it looked like I had to mow it uh, because I was trying to figure out how to get my lawnmower up there because all the seeds had started to root in the rotting shingles. And uh, so, you know, that's happened in Israel as well as uh, seed would get onto the roof and just start to grow. But those seeds can't root very deeply, so they wither in the hot sun. There's not going to be any harvest. There's not going to be any lasting fruit. I listed earlier some of the nations that afflicted Israel. Historically, they sprung up quickly as world-dominating power. But they haven't survived as world powers. Egypt, Assyria, uh, Babylon, Persia, uh, Greece, and Rome, they're, they're not really world powers anymore. Uh, they, they, were, uh, a, they didn't root very deeply. Verse 7, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Continuing with the comparison, this is a statement of confidence that Israel will take root and be brought in as a harvest to the Lord. Zechariah 12.10, we read, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon me whom they pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Zechariah is depicting the return of Jesus Christ in his second coming and Israel, all the Jews on the earth at that time, turning to him in faith as their Messiah. The Apostle Paul said of Israel's future, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Again, Paul looking forward to the salvation of the Jewish nation that survives the great tribulation. Modern Israel is therefore nothing less than a miracle. It is the fulfillment of many prophecies. Israel must be in the promised land in order for Jesus to return and for them to recognize and receive him as their Messiah. Talk about miracles and signs and wonders a moment ago. If a person were to say to you, well, if you showed me a miracle or if I believed in miracles, then I'd believe in God. The existence of Israel as a nation is a miraculous fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And if people won't recognize that, what would they recognize? Are they talking about parlor tricks or sleight of hand? I mean, it's a modern miracle predicted thousands of years ago.
in the Bible. Verse 8, neither let those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Harvesting in their fields, the Jews would work alongside the fields of their neighbors. Harvest time's a great time, right? Uh, if the harvest comes in bountifully. And so they would see each other and exchange greetings like, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And they would have these kinds of things, trying to one-up each other in their blessings. I've said this many times before. It's just a, it nags me. We need to have a stronger greeting game as Christians. I'm just as guilty as saying, hey, how are you? As I rush by you, not really wanting to spend that kind of time. You know, when you ask somebody, how are you? And don't expect an answer, it's rude, it's weird. How are you is how you start a counseling conversation. So, how are you? Tell me what's going on. It's not while you're walking. So we need to think of new things. And, and uh, maybe that we try this for a while. I've, I've suggested each time. So maybe we do the blessing of the Lord be upon you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Blessing of the Lord be upon you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. And people will think you're crazy, but you know what? You kind of are. <laughs> Let them know. Hey, how you doing? You need the Lord. <laughs> What'd you say? I said Godspeed. But anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Remembering that we are reading a song of praise, perhaps the big finish here is that half of the worshipers sing, the blessing of the Lord be upon you, and then the other half sings, we bless you in the name of the Lord. Remember the, the worship leader said, hey, this is what we're gonna be singing about. He introduced the first verse, and then he said, many of the afflictions, and then they said, yet he has you know, prevailed against our enemies. And so the, it's a song, and at the end, I can see this, and, and I can even see them going back and forth several times, getting louder and louder like a cheer. You know, we're, and, I mean, these people are joyful people. And, and though there are many psalms that talk about the sorrow and, uh, of their afflictions and all, this is a great psalm that talks about, hey, we've been afflicted, we're going to be afflicted. We're God's people, of course there's targets on us. And, and we're fighting a malevolent, sinister being. But we prevail. We pre and we prevail right now because there's really nothing anybody can do to us. In this church age, if you're in Christ, you have two options. Option one, you die, leaving your corruptible physical body behind to await its resurrection. You, your spirit, will be conscious and alive in the presence of Jesus in heaven. We are assured that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. By the way, a total aside here, a footnote. Let me, I'll stand over here. But uh, I was reading a, one of my favorite theologians this week, and he says sometimes people say, uh, you know, uh, like in this case, your body's in the ground and the real you is in heaven. Well, no, the real you is body, soul, and spirit. Your body is part of the real you. It's just that you don't, if you die, you don't have it right then. You have some, you're in an intermediate state. You're not gas. You're not just floating around. <laughs> when uh, Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and the apostles were there, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, and they knew who, he, who they were. They didn't get out their uh, apostle cards or their, you know, prophet cards. Hey, do you have an Elijah? They didn't know who these guys looked like. There was no selfies back then. Elijah. Hey, look at me with the prophets of Baal. But uh, anyway, um, they recognized it. They had substance and form, and they recognized them. And so you'll be absent from your body and present with the Lord. Option two, 
You're alive when Jesus returns to resurrect from the, uh, the dead from the church age. You don't experience death. Instead, you're immediately transformed and in your incorruptible, immortal, eternal body. I'd say either way, that is prevailing over your afflictors. Your future is the context within which you prevail. Their future is why you must have compassion upon them making a difference. They're headed for the most horrific place in the universe. Revelation 20 describes the great white throne judgment where the dead in Christ of all time will be raised from the dead to stand before the judgment of God and Jesus Christ. They'll be judged according to their works, but their works can't save them because salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. They died never having been declared righteous by bowing the knee to Jesus. And the place that they will spend eternity, it's not like the house on Haunted Hill or you know these movies, these horror movies, those have a place that, that is haunted and that kind of thing. It, nothing could be as horrific as hell. It's so bad that there's not much description of it in the Bible. The one description that I think is a Christian would understand that, that makes it so horrible is that you are separated from God for all eternity. And so that's the horrific destination of the wicked. And so when we think about other people that are our afflictors, whether they're government officials, whether they're our neighbors, whether it's within my own family, whatever it might be, yeah, it hurts and it's, it's a problem and it's difficult, but they're taken captive by the devil to do his will. And their destina your destination is set. All they can do is hurt you. And I'm not, I don't want to minimize that. The hurt is real. The pain is real. It's significant. But ultimately, if you step back, you think, none of my accusers or afflictors can prevail against me because I know Christ. I can do all things through him as he strengthens me. And the worst thing that could happen to me is I would die and see his beautiful face. Let's pray.